0: Highlighting the most pressing legal issues of our moment. Amplifying the stories and experiences of our community members. Providing insight on the latest developments from attorneys, judges, social workers, educators, and community leaders. You're listening to Foundation of Justice. Brought to you by the Ohio State Bar Foundation. In this limited series, we'll discuss a number of topics that directly relate to our mission. To advance the rule of law and build a better justice system. All in the Pursuit of Justice for All. We're so excited to have you. Let's begin the journey now.
1: Welcome to the inaugural episode of Foundation of Justice. I'm your host, Joseph Wenger, an attorney with the 10th District Court of Appeals in Columbus and a board member of the Ohio State Bar Foundation, or OSBF. I'm thrilled to be your host for this important two-part series. First, a little bit of background on our topic today and why it was chosen as the very first OSBF podcast. As the professional honorary of Ohio lawyers, each year OSBF welcomes a new class of fellows, a group of attorneys who exemplify the highest standards of professionalism and are committed to serving their communities. Each Fellows class designs its own class experience, creating a Fellows Week of Service centered around a topic they choose. I myself am a former Fellow from the Class of 2018, and as a member of the LGBTQ plus community, when I learned that the 2021 Fellows class decided to focus on the needs of the LGBTQ plus community, I really wanted to get involved and lend a hand. Inspired by the volunteer work of our 2021 class, over this episode and the next of our series, we'll explore some of the challenges that members of the LGBTQ community face through their perspective. And we'll hear from legal scholars, judges, and practitioners in the field who will help us navigate the system. When we think of justice for all, what does that mean? How can we truly create a more equitable society, an inclusive place for all of us? In April 2022, the OSBF Fellows will host a Unity Summit at which experts will explore some possible answers to those questions. We'll cover some of the lessons that come out of the summit in the next episode. But for now, our first episode begins with the story of Julie.
2: Being transgender is less than 1% of 1% of 1% of the person that I am. I am so many other things.
1: LGBTQ representation and visibility has increased in recent years as more people feel comfortable coming out. A recent Gallup poll found that 7.1% of the U.S. population now identifies as LGBTQ, up from 3.5% in 2012, more than doubling over the last decade. That's happening in parallel with advancements in civil rights, such as the U.S. Supreme Court's decision in Obergefell v. Hodges, the landmark case that legalized same sex marriage nationwide. But still, a lot of people may not personally know someone who is transgender or be familiar with what it means to be trans or gender nonconforming. Julie Boylan of Akron is here to help us with that. Julie is a board member with TransOhio, a volunteer-led nonprofit dedicated to serving the transgender and gender nonconforming communities here in Ohio. She's also a general support specialist at Community AIDS Network, Akron Pride Initiative, or Canopy. Julie, thanks so much for joining us today and for being willing to share your story around transitioning and what it's like to be a member of the transgender community here in Ohio.
2: Oh, thanks for having me.
1: So, Julie, can you share with us a little bit about how you came to know you were transgender? When did you know exactly?
2: You know, I knew as a small child uh, that I was different and I knew how I was different, but I didn't really have any examples of what different was. I mean. And then I heard, I believe her name was Renee Richards. I believe I heard of her. And I remember the, the dad from the Brady Bunch was on like one of those TV shows, and he was transgender. And I understood right then. I think it was probably, man, I was fourth grade, third grade, something like that. And it all just kind of clicked. You know, I'd always knew I was different, but that was the moment that I actually knew exactly what being transgender was and who I am. And uh, once I figured that out, it just—it became a journey of, uh, are you ever going to come out? Are you ever going to? What you know? What are you going to do with it? And uh, you know, I went into hiding for the longest period of time. I—I uh, I remember I didn't tell anyone because it seemed like such a bad thing. Because people just didn't talk about it, and uh, I remember very well telling a few people who I was who was important to me and having them freak out you know in my early days. Uh, I had one partner who figured it out and I got into a huge we got into a huge argument. She stormed off and um, she was in a car accident. She passed away that night and I never got a chance to make that right. and I remember going back in the closet from that moment. Um, and I stayed in that closet for the longest time. I wouldn't tell anyone. It took years before I could even deal with that, before I could even come out to anyone.
1: Julie, when you decided that you were going to come out and you were going to tell other people in your life that that you're transgender, how did that go?
2: When I came out, being transgender was not talked about yet, and it definitely wasn't uh, an okay subject. It wasn't something that... You thought you could get away with telling your best friend. And I remember thinking, I'm going to lose everybody. And I actually became very not wanting to be on this earth for a little while there. And it was very difficult. But the thing that kept me together was I thought to myself, if I can have this many people who actually support me being trans, then it'll be okay. So I made myself a list of the people that mattered to me, and i looked the list over and i refined that list and february 2nd of the year that i came out i remember calling everyone on that list and telling them i was transgender explaining to the best of my ability what it was and they they all said hey we love you we support you and it's going to be great and uh, you know that's all i needed from there i uh i went into a 90-day program at 40s uh, which I can't say enough about how wonderful they are over there. I learned uh, so much about life and basic things that get you through. But the most important thing I learned at their, the Pathways program was there were 60 people who only knew me as Julie, and they liked me. They really liked me, and I made friends with Julie. And I, I blossomed in that environment. And uh, without that, I don't know if I'd be where I am today.
1: So, in the process of coming out, did you have any difficulty? Were you looking for medical care? Did you have any difficulty getting medical care as a trans person?
2: I did, yeah. I uh, couldn't get medical care hardly at all uh, until 2014 when uh, I finally got in at the Pride Clinic up at Metro Health. And I remember when the lady told me that she could help me, I burst into tears and just dropped to the floor. I can't tell you how important that day was for me and how important those medications are. Being trans, it's kind of like anxiety of gender. If I could, uh, you know, quote a couple of my friends and myself, to uh, what we feel like it's like. So when it's not taken care of, it's a very difficult, dysphoria is very difficult to deal with.
1: And at some point you went through a process to change your name. What What was that like?
2: It was difficult. Um, it cost a lot of money for me at the time. I had to save up. They, uh, you go down to the board, you have to uh, file some papers, and then you have to walk over to this uh, newspaper type place, and you have to get your name printed up for everybody to see. And I think that was the hardest part because that was definitely outing me to people who definitely didn't know. So yeah, it was very difficult to do my name. Although going to the court, that for me wasn't bad. Um, I had Maria O'Connor's uh, courtroom, and they were very, very nice to me.
1: So you're saying it was at least maybe intimidating as part of this court process to have your name published to the whole community. Have you ever felt afraid of how people might react to you because you're trans?
2: Oh, all the time. There's always a, a chance of, of having somebody who just doesn't like you i've had people who one man got me in a line at uh acme one day figured out that i was trans from you know the drugs i was getting he just went off and i remember uh, walking out the door with all these people following as that guy is screaming at me and i i, I think it to myself you know i got to be respectful you know because there's you know 20 odd people here and i'm the only uh thing they'll ever know about trans people, so I can't, I, I have to be good here. And um, I remember getting in my car thinking, oh man, I just, I just dodged a bullet," You know? But you just never know. I've had that happen several times since I've come out, especially in bathrooms. I mean, that can be the scariest one.
1: Julie, can you tell me a little bit about what it was like being in school or at university being trans?
2: Uh, that was difficult. Um, When I started UA, I had a lot of computer classes down in uh, Polsky, and the only safe places to go to the bathroom were actually up in the student union about 15, 20 minutes away. And I would have to hold, I have to not do it for quite a while because I was afraid to use the restroom. And the reason why I was afraid to use the restroom so bad was my first semester, I actually went into the men's room because I figured, oh, I'll be safe that way. Nobody's going to care. Um, and this guy, I I would imagine this guy told me, I sent me an email and I email, telling me he followed me into the bathroom and he thought I was, you know, pretty. And that freaked me out. And I never went into a bathroom again at Polsky. So I also spent, oh gosh, well, my entire career at, at UA working to get universal bathrooms. I mean, can't add them. The first ones I got was in 2014. I talked to a bunch of different groups, and the law school finally gave us one. And then it took the rest of my career. I had to get on undergrad student government, get legislation passed, had to do petitions, go to meetings, find allies. And my final year in UA, they finally got universal bathrooms around campus.
1: Julie, being trans, your trans identity, how central is that to your life? What part of your identity is that?
2: Um, I'll be honest with you, being transgender is less than 1% of 1% of 1% of the person that I am. I am so many other things. Unfortunately, when things happen sometimes and we get a bunch of laws or a bunch of people speaking against being trans, that's the only thing people seem to see, is my gender. They don't, they don't see the good things I do in the world, they just see my gender. And I think that's sad because I think that happens to a lot of trans people. I can't speak for everyone, but for me, if you only see my gender, it's it's not beneficial to me. I have to deal with my gender. It's something I have to deal with, not something they should have to worry about.
1: Julie Boylan, Board Member of Trans Ohio, thank you so much for sharing your story with our listeners.
2: Thank you for letting me be here.
1: Now that we have the personal perspective from Julie, we're next going to explore some of the legal issues encountered by trans Ohioans and how courts in Ohio are handling cases in this evolving area of the law. To get some more insight, we turn to James Knapp, Ohio Attorney and Chair of the Board of Trans Ohio, and someone with great perspective from the bench, Judge Jeffrey Mackey of the Franklin County Probate Court. Thanks to both of you for joining us here today. James, you represent trans clients around the state and you're also deeply connected to the trans and gender nonconforming communities here in Ohio. For our listeners who aren't as familiar with the trans community, can you tell us a little bit about what you see in your representation? For instance, how common are issues of discrimination uh, against trans individuals in Ohio? And how does that impact them?
3: Yeah, absolutely. First, I'd like to be clear that transgender and non-binary people span all continents, all races, religions, political parties, and socioeconomical backgrounds. So the personal experiences of one trans person probably don't reflect the average experience of the community. But it's clear from numerous surveys done over the years and anecdotal evidence that trans people do face a disproportionate risk of discrimination. And that's true in in all areas of life, including the legal system. There's a common misconception that transgender people are a new phenomenon, and history just doesn't agree with that. But still, one of the deepest roots of discrimination is fear of the unknown, an unease of change and a general lack of understanding. In states like Ohio that lack statewide non-discrimination laws, it's really important to remember that trans people aren't asking for anything special. Just the ability to live, work, study, play, and enjoy life in the same ways as their cisgender or non-trans peers. Unfortunately, transphobia does exist still in 2022 at nearly every level in society, and that makes just accessing basic care and resources exponentially harder for trans people, especially trans youth of color. As an attorney, I've taken a number of cases for trans people that honestly, uh, they shouldn't have had to have an attorney at all. Uh, The best example of this is statutory name changes. Uh, About 10 years ago, there were judges right here in Ohio who refused to grant name changes for transgender petitioners Specifically, under the notion that it was fraudulent for trans people to change their name from a traditionally masculine name to a traditionally feminine name, or vice versa. Five years ago, there were probate judges right here in Ohio that refused to grant parents petitions for their trans children under the belief that children are too young to know or to understand what their gender is, that they could just file their own petition when they came of age at 18. I innocently stated one time in court, Your Honor, my dog knows his name and that he's a good boy. But all jokes aside, there should not be a separate standard for trans people than there is for cis people. In regards to legal name changes, there isn't. So it's taken a long time to educate, not just the public, but the judicial system. Uh, With increased visibility and some important local wins, the legal system here in Ohio and federally, it's a lot easier to navigate. But a lot of people are still afraid of discrimination or just afraid of being denied a name change or a birth certificate correction. And they're so afraid that they don't even wanna try.
1: Judge Mackey, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what your court does here in Franklin County?
4: Yes. Uh, thank you, Joseph. I was the first out-judge elected um, on the, in the Franklin County judiciary, so I was the first judge elected in Franklin County who was out. Secondly, I am the judge in Franklin County, I represent 1.4 million people, it is the largest county in Ohio. Um, so I have a lot of experience in these issues.
1: Judge Mackey, recently a
4: federal court in a case
1: called Ray versus McLeod ordered Ohio to join nearly every other state in the union and allowing mm-hmm. changes to gender markers on birth certificates. The Ohio Department of Health, which was the opposing party in that suit brought by the ACLU and Lambda Legal, did not appeal the court's ruling. How has this case and other cases, such as the case legalizing same-sex marriage, changed what mm-hmm. happens in your court?
4: The case that you referred to, The gender marker change case um, was decided by the federal court uh, in December of 2020 by federal judge uh, Michael Watson. Important to note that he was a Franklin County judge before he was a federal judge, and he's a very conservative guy. So this is a decision that was not rendered by a flaming liberal or someone who arguably has an affinity with the trans community. Uh, But if you read his decision, uh, it is very clear that he totally rejected all the arguments being made by the state of Ohio in um, authorizing the Ohio Department of Health to um, have gender marker changes on birth certificates. In fact, the very first sentence of his decision says, Ohio is one of only two states that does not allow a transgender person to change the sex marker on their birth certificate. Ohio and Tennessee were the last two states to do this, so I like to jokingly say, Ohio, we're number 49. So at least we weren't last. Tennessee has yet to do this.
1: James, as we heard from Julie, historically, some courts around the state have required publication of a name change, meaning that the person applying for the change had to provide notice of that change in a local paper. Even for those of us who are in and out of courthouses every day, courts and judges can be pretty intimidating, um, Judge Mackey being the notable exception to that. Um, do, your, do your clients ever have hesitation about interacting with the legal system?
3: Well, the good news is that publication is long, no longer required by statute, and judges do have discretion to waive publication. So as Judge Mackey said, a lot of courts are already doing that. Uh, but yes, still. Absolutely, people do fear being outed, especially because uh, under the previous publication requirements, people had to include their previous name, their new name, and their entire address. And as trans people, uh, especially people who are living in unfriendly territory, they fear uh, not just you know, harassment, but personal violence, um, and that has put off a lot of people from changing their names. Uh, the good news is that is no longer required.
1: Judge, as we've heard today, one of the most common issues for trans Ohioans is changing their legal name. Probate courts in Ohio, including your court, have jurisdiction over this issue. So how does a trans individual go about changing their name? And does this vary at all among the other probate courts in the 88 counties of our state?
4: The name change process in Ohio is uh, statutory. There's a statute that sets forth the procedure for name changes. And quite frankly, it's very simple, and it changed dramatically this past summer. As James Knapp has mentioned, there's no longer a publication requirement. The publication requirement was mainly to satisfy the requirement that you cannot change your name if you're intending to try to avoid criminal prosecution or to avoid creditors. So I think this was a mechanism to allow potential creditors to come forth and say that person should not be able to change their name because we feel they're trying to defraud creditors. That publication requirement never resulted in a creditor coming to court and saying this person should not be allowed to change their name. So therefore... The the reason for the publication was kind of a, a moot argument. So that's no longer required, and I think that would make uh, members of the trans community more comfortable going through that name change process. It does not require a hearing. does not require consent of anyone unless it's a minor child seeking to have a name change by one of the parents and the other parent objects. So it is a very simple process. Most courts, Franklin County Probate Court specifically, have the forms on their website, cost has also gone down dramatically because the publication is no longer required and we don't require a hearing so most people would just go to the local probate court website or walk in and get a, a packet of forms file it and that's pretty much the end of the process very simple and as far as I know uh, it's not an issue anymore uh, even including with the trans trans community uh, of receiving any any resistance from the 88 probate courts in Ohio James. Help our listeners understand, why does a trans person need
1: to correct the gender marker on their birth certificate? What do these changes to legal documents mean for trans people?
3: You know, birth certificates are required ID for so much of a person's life, from proving where they were born, uh, their heritage, uh, for needing to be enrolled in school, uh, work documents, getting married. Um, And birth certificates to some people may just be a piece of paper, but to a lot of trans people born in Ohio, the ability to finally correct their birth certificate is simply huge. You know, previously folks could update their other documents, their their photo ID, their Social Security card, their passport, except for birth certificates, which create a mismatch identity document uh, problem, uh, and also helps people, um, you know, get fired from their jobs if they were if they were outed, because uh, again, Ohio does not have statewide non-discrimination policies in workplace. I I wish I had a better answer for this, but you know, there are 88 counties in Ohio, and as Judge Mackey said, the process is the same and it's been streamlined, but there are still probate courts out there that are pushing back. Uh, There are a couple courts that refuse to grant name change, or I'm sorry, gender marker changes for trans petitioners only. um, And others require additional supporting evidence uh, that may be, uh, you know, a a barrier to some people to get, because they may not have uh, a doctor that will be willing to sign their affidavit. Every person who wants to update their birth certificate, though, will need basically the same uh, uh, supporting documents. They'll need uh, their current birth certificate, an application to correct the birth record, and at least two supporting affidavits. If folks are confused about the process, and especially if you're living in an unfriendly county, I encourage you to reach out to an attorney. The Ohio Name Change Legal Clinic. It's a virtual clinic hosted by Equality Ohio, Equitas Health, Octopus, and Trans Ohio. It's the second Wednesday of every single month. It's absolutely free to attend and we do have some financial assistance available if folks can't cover the cost of the filing. Judge, how
1: simple is this process to change the gender marker on your birth certificate here in Ohio?
4: The process, um, again, is not that complicated. It is authorized by the birth correction statute and, again, by the standard probate forms uh, uh, adopted by the Ohio Supreme Court. An important note is that you can file and an applicant can file for a gender marker change in Ohio in one of three counties, either by specifying that I was born in that particular county, let's say Franklin County, for example, I was born in Franklin County, or I am currently a resident of Franklin County, and there's no residency requirement, not like a one-year or 6 months. so you just say, hey, I live in Franklin County now, or uh, my mother was a resident of Franklin County at the time of my birth. So you have pretty wide choice of which county you want to file in. Some of the counties may not be as as accommodating to the trans uh, community as perhaps Franklin County or some of the larger counties are, uh, but it, it is a, a fairly simple process. Again, there is no publication required. We do not require a doctor's certificate in Franklin County. And if for some reason you feel that uh, you would be somewhat at risk or uh, at threat, uh, you could actually ask for your uh, gender marker file application in the Frank County Probate Court to be sealed. Uh, you need to give us a reason, but if you're concerned about harassment at work or something of that sort, uh, you could actually um, ask the probate court to seal your file Uh, which would contain some information. You may prefer not be public. We have found, based on statistics, that perhaps more than 1% of the national population identifies as transgender. That means of the 11 million people in Ohio... Uh, perhaps over 110,000 people in Ohio may identify as transgender. That means, of the 1.4 million people in Franklin County, 14,000 people in Franklin County, if not more, identify as transgender. And I think that's a large enough community that we need to be accommodating to those uh, to those individuals.
1: Thanks so much to James Knapp, attorney and chair of the Board of Trans Ohio, and the Honorable Jeffrey Mackey, Judge of the Franklin County Probate Court
3: an honor to be here and to share some information. Things are going in the right direction for the trans community. I know it's been a long and painful growing process for the community at large, but you know things are, things are improving, and I think that the changes in the legal system are really reflecting that.
4: Thank you, Joseph, for having us here today, and thank you to the Ohio State Bar Foundation for sponsoring uh, this Foundation of Justice event.
1: And that's our show for today. In our next episode, we'll continue our conversation with a recap of the Unity Summit. It promises to be a lively discussion. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope to catch you on our next episode of Foundation of Justice.
0: Thank you for listening to Foundation of Justice, a podcast of the Ohio State Bar Foundation. The Ohio State Bar Foundation works to advance the rule of law and build a better justice system. For more information on the work of the Ohio State Bar Foundation, or to join us in our efforts, visit www.osbf.org. And look for the Foundation of Justice page on our website for resources on the topics covered in today's episode. Until next time, thank you for joining us on Foundation of Justice.